0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Canadian RegTech Association's podcast titled Quantum 101. Where we'll be discussing quantum computing and the potential of this nascent technology to disrupt the reg tech industry. My name is Myron Miliade and I'll be your host today. By way of background, I'm a business lawyer at Miller Thompson and have significant experience supporting companies operating in the technology sector. I advise on domestic and international mergers and acquisitions, corporate finance, venture capital investments, and complex technology transactions relating to cybersecurity, AI, fintech, and blockchain. For those of you who don't know, the Canadian RegTech Association is a not-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key RegTech stakeholders, such as regulated entities, technology vendors, regulatory bodies, and governmental and professional service providers. Now, joining me today, we're fortunate to have both Richard Mold and Raphael Yannick. So Richard is the general manager of Amazon Bracket, the quantum computing service of AWS. He was previously a principal product manager in the cryptography groups at AWS. And prior to joining AWS, Richard was most recently general manager of Whitewood Security, which is a quantum crypto startup. Richard has served on various standards bodies to help define requirements for encryption, key management and payment processing, including PCI DSS. So Rafael is head of product at Zandu, where he leads the development and delivery of Zandu's flagship product, the Zandu Quantum Cloud. He specializes in commercializing deep tech projects and has over 10 years of experience of leading software and machine learning teams in both large enterprises and high growth startups. Raphael holds an MSc in biophysics from the University of Guelph. So, Raphael and Richard, welcome today.
1: Thank you very much, Myron. Thanks, pleasure to be here.
0: Great, it's great to have you. And I think this is a very exciting topic. So I'm, I'm glad you can both join us today. Um, now, quantum computers has the potential, and I'm sure we can all agree, to take on tasks intractable for computing today. From discovering new drugs, advancing cybersecurity and cryptography, um, to all kinds of uh, analysis and complex optimization problems, Uh, throughout the financial portfolios and financial sector. Indeed, quantum computing will be a game-changing technology for any data and computational-intensive task and organization. Yeah, I think with all of the potential, quantum computing is still nascent with a number of really engineering obstacles that need to be overcome before we can really see wild-scale adoption of this technology. So I'm, I'm excited to hear both of your points on this too as well. And maybe we can kick things off with Rafael. Maybe you can give us a a bit of a brief introduction to what quantum computing is and what it isn't.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. So quantum computing is actually a now fairly old idea, probably close to 30 years that people have been working on on trying to make this a reality. And really the idea is to leverage uh, the strange effects of quantum mechanics uh, to build a computational device. Um, and initially in the in the early 90s, there were a few seminal papers that were published demonstrating how you can actually encode algorithms that could do things that classical um, computers couldn't if you could only kind of harness the power of quantum systems. Um, and, you know, today we, we have multiple companies working on uh, different substrates. So whether it be superconducting qubits, whether it be photonics, um, or even trapping individual atoms or ions with lasers in order to exert the level of control that's required. Um, And and we want to exert this control to leverage two core ideas in quantum mechanics. One is entanglement and the other is superposition to build these large complex uh, quantum systems that are very difficult to simulate classically. Um, And if we're able to control them, the idea is that you can then begin encoding problems um, you know, everyday business problems onto these devices. And instead of actually uh, solving the problem of a classical computer, kind of taking a shortcut by allowing it to evolve in this quantum system and being able to read the answer out uh, directly. What, what a quantum computer is, is something completely different. Uh, it does things really well that a classical computer does really poorly. And what a classical computer does really well you wouldn't want to do on a quantum computer. So it's definitely not, you know, just a massively parallel version of a classical computer. Um, it's not a high performance version. It is a completely new paradigm um, to, to computing.
0: Okay, Raphael. So you'd say in the, um, in the initial stages, it's, it's more of a, a complement to our existing classical computers um, and really ensuring that we're providing the appropriate tasks to it will be key.
1: Uh, a- absolutely. And and there's a, a second differentiation to a lot of what we talk about, uh, kind of out in, in popular media is talking about something that we refer to as a fault tolerant universal quantum computer. So this is really the the holy grail of what everybody's striving for. Uh, today, what we have, uh, we would term NISC devices, um, or uh, noisy intermediate scale quantum computers. and um, really these things are are still useful in some ways and they're becoming more and more powerful but the true promise of uh quantum computing will be unlocked uh when we get fault tolerance uh and universality and these devices
0: oh great now that's that's very interesting and i think this lends into uh the second point of discussion here today which uh, richard i'll turn to you would you mind providing a uh your perspective of the global landscape uh, regarding quantum computers.
2: Boy, that's a big question. Globes lo- is a large place. Um, I mean, I think yeah, as Rafael uh, as Raffel said, um, you know, the purpose of these machines is to is to do something that classical computers can't do, and we're starting to see the signs of that. Um, people uh, bandy the term around quantum supremacy, which which is where you can demonstrate that a quantum computer has done something sort of unique for the first time that a classical machine can't do. So we're, you know, we have that in view. And we have some, some early examples that have been very promising. And, uh, and that's triggered, of course, a tremendous amount of interest in, in, in a, in a, in around the globe. You know, this has become a very rapidly emerging space. You know, uh, even though it's been around for 20, 30 years, it suddenly seems to be catching fire. It's become a hive of activity. Um, there's a tremendous amount of noise, Um, a lot of people claiming um, that, uh, you know, that their technology is best, a lot of people uh, claiming that these devices are useful right now, which unfortunately in most cases is is, is probably not the case. Um, So a lot of the information is reliable, Uh, a lot of the information sadly is unreliable, Um, but it is creating the emergence of of a real community, I think, of of companies Um, there's uh, a rapidly growing set of manufacturers that are building the quantum hardware which at the end of the day is you know obviously the crux of all this but there's also a community of companies evolving that are building tooling for quantum computers and even operating systems for quantum computers um, trying to explore particular applications for problems that have existed for decades you know service providers such as ourselves that are trying to make quantum computing and the the user experience more widely available uh, and, of course, researchers and governments. So I think, generally, I would say it's it's emerging from being a cottage industry into being more of a fully-fledged you know, ecosystem. Um, corporations are certainly starting to get very interested. Uh, this technology is still probably too early for most companies to really you know, spend a lot of resources on. But for organizations that are in certain uh, markets, uh, and you mentioned some of them earlier in your intro, um, you know, now's the time to get involved. Uh, even though you know, a, 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 a commercially useful quantum computer might still be years away, um, it will take quite a few years to build up the expertise and resources uh, in organizations to be able to exercise that computer. Uh, so whether, you know, you think a quantum computer is a threat uh, to your industry or whether you think it's an opportunity, um, it's probably time to start exploring it if you're in one of those target industries. Um, that's one of the reasons that why uh, we launched recently the Bracket Service, uh, is to try and make fundamentally that technology uh, easy to access and make it available to those companies that want to, um, to get involved in it uh, and to try to stimulate um, innovation. You know, the only way that you can innovate in, in, in an industry, whether it's robotics or machine learning or you know, Internet of Things, is, is to bring these various parties together. So uh, hardware developers, software developers, uh, application experts, researchers, uh, and government uh, entities, if we can bring these people together and, uh, and try and have the efforts be mutually reinforcing, we think we can uh, accelerate innovation and ultimately commercialization in the industry.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's great too as well. I think there's there's a lot going on and there's a lot of excitement in, in this space too as well and the, the potential to pair with other emerging technologies. It's it's tremendous, so it's it's great to hear. So I guess we'll bring it back to Canada now. Um, the question here is, is what is the maturity of quantum computing here in Canada, specifically in connection with Canadian financial institutions and providers in the uh, financial space?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, Canada has been on the forefront of commercial quantum computing kind of since since the start. Uh, one of the earliest companies uh, to really launch in a space D-Wave is based out of British Columbia. and and they're still around providing a slightly different quantum solution, but a a quantum annealer to uh, many organizations uh, today. Uh, Since then, it's been a kind of a flurry of of activity uh, in in Toronto and Ontario. More uh, broadly, we've had a large number of startups and academic uh, initiatives as well to kind of grow the ecosystem, which has uh, launched a few companies, Xanadu uh, included in that. Um, but also many more software and application uh, type of companies. And uh, we're starting to slowly see that uh, large Canadian enterprises are also becoming a little bit quantum aware. So in the in the financial space, we're definitely still lagging behind what's happening south of the border and in Europe, where we're seeing a lot of the tier one banks, um, as well as the regulators actively engaging with uh large and small enterprises in the quantum space in order to start building internal uh, capacity, as well as investing heavily and in actually hiring and building teams internally. Uh, in in Canada, it's been much, much lighter, but we've seen pretty big pushes from BMO and Scotia, uh, predominantly in, in this space. Um, so I'd say no one is tremendously behind yet because it is still such a nascent field, uh, but, uh where we're starting to see some institutions uh really take the lead in this and uh hopefully Canada doesn't far too too fall behind what's happening in in the US right now
0: yeah, no, I know. Uh, I know there can be with some of these emerging technologies. It's it's good to be on the cusp, but I I know that sometimes doesn't go with the mentality of of certain financial institutions where they're a bit more risk adverse too. But I I think it's essential to stay on top of this.
1: Yeah, the the interesting thing is that it's it's kind of risky to do the opposite and wait and see. It's a very unique situation in that the technology is really um, going to show up all at once. Um, like I mentioned, you know everybody's working towards that universal fault tolerant quantum computer uh, and when it arrives it really will be disruptive to, to all industry. And the question will be about which individuals you know have made small investments prior to this in order to actually position themselves to be able to take advantage of it. Um, one other big thing that I'm sure we'll touch on in the course of this discussion is the fact that there's probably only about 1500,, people that know how to program these devices right now. And unlike maybe the ML space, it takes quite a while to to train these individuals. It's hard to repurpose traditional developers or other STEM graduates to to become quantum computing experts. Um, So even if a quantum computer uh, in its full glory were to arrive today, um, most institutions wouldn't be able to take advantage of it for quite some time while they built up that internal capacity. So I'd say the lowest risk thing to do is to start investing now interesting
0: interesting and I think that ties to Richard's earlier point about being aware even if you think it's a capacitor too as well so that that will make sense and it sounds like this is a an area of anyone's anyone's looking for a career chump too as well there's only 1500 people out there so that's interesting um, I'll, I'll turn the discussion over to, to you too, Richard here as well I'd like to hear from you about some of the the applications and use cases you're seeing for quantum computing and which ones'
2: really uh excite you i mean that they, you know, they're they're all interesting and exciting because they, they all fundamentally you know represent the opportunity to solve a problem that has has hitherto been unsolvable i mean these are these are not new problems uh, scientists have, have been bumping up against the capabilities of of classical systems for, for decades, you know, there are some problems that just scale very badly. You know, if you if you want to study the interaction uh, of, of atoms and subatomic particles and molecules, then, you know, as, as you increment the size of the molecule or look at bigger atoms, then this the problem gets dramatically harder with every single electron you choose to look at. And the same is true with optimization problems. You mentioned optimization in your intro. You know, if you're trying to deliver packages or you're trying to manage traffic or you're trying to uh, assess risk in, in an organization, you know, even a financial organization, or you're trying to manage the opportunity you know, of, a, of an investment portfolio, for example, there are so many combinations. And every time you add a stock or add a house to deliver something to, or add a set of traffic lights or you know, another vehicle to a road that the, the scale of that problem, the number of different scenarios that you have to assess, dramatically increases I mean significantly uh, to the point where classical computers just simply computationally can't handle it which means you have to simplify and make assumptions for all of these systems um, in some cases you know you, though you need to know the right answer uh, and in, in many ways the opportunity for a quantum computer is to, is to finally deliver that right answer you know whether you're as I say whether you're investigating chemical interactions because you're trying to build um, a better polymer, or a better glass, or a better battery, or a better electric motor. Uh, whether you're trying to do um, more refined drug discovery, um, in uh, uh, energy efficiency, in all of that stuff, relies on us understanding how chemical uh, reactions happen and how atoms and, and molecules interact. And you know, you sometimes you just need to know the act, the actual answer to be able to perfect you yeah, design or synthesize a new compound. Um, of course, financial institutions are super excited because um, understanding risk, um, equating, and trying to assess the relative opportunity uh, from different financial transactions and different portfolios um, is, of course, fantastically interesting, uh, and, and same thing. We could, we, today, we, we, you know, we assess those portfolios uh, through approximations and simplifications. Uh, but quantum computers have the potential to to dramatically change that. Uh, And of course, you know, a particular class of of optimization plays into uh, machine learning and and artificial intelligence. You know, one of the areas that I think probably some of the listeners to this call will naturally think about when they think about quantum computing is the threat that it poses to uh, encryption and data security. So although quantum computers are, are super exciting for many Highly beneficial purposes. You know, they also change the landscape in terms in terms of uh, security because one of the the linchpins of our current encryption mechanisms for protecting data, whether it be credit card information or personal data or tax information or whatever it might be, you know, relies on the fact that classical computers can't easily determine the keys that we used to encrypt our data. Um, it's been well known for quite some time that a quantum computer has um, has the capability to crack Uh, current uh, encryption mechanisms by being able to uh, to, to derive keys. Um, Rafael mentioned earlier the notion of of an error-corrected quantum computer or or a perfect quantum computer. You sort of need to get one of those before the threat of cryptographic attack becomes real. The current machines that we have available today, you know, are nowhere near enough powerful to to threaten uh, encryption systems. But when we do get to that error-corrected machine, you know, truly powerful quantum computer in the future, then, you know, our security systems come under threat. So there are both positive benefits, but there are also more scary benefits that we that we need to learn how to protect against.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, to, just add maybe a little bit to what Richard said, uh, for, for me, there's really two types of ax, uh, exciting uh, applications of quantum computing. The first one is exciting because they're the things we're gonna hit first. And these really will come on the NISC era devices. And like Richard alluded, these will be most likely in places where uh, we already see the need to simulate a quantum system. So drug discovery or materials design is often a big one um, or in areas where these classical optimization problems uh, live. So I know in, in finance, one of the big places people are looking is portfolio optimization or looking for arbitrage opportunities um, in in markets. Uh, and, and those are... Uh, you know, I'd say exciting because they're going to be first to arrive. For me, it's really the tremendously boring problems that quantum computers will be able to tackle once they become ubiquitous. Um, there's a series of algorithms that that are a little, I would say, less exciting in terms of speed up than something like the algorithm that Richard was talking about to break uh, public key encryption, but that are far more ubiquitous um, and could really be leveraged in pretty much any piece of software that uh, would be running. So for, for me, the, the most exciting application is the one that, that comes at the end game where uh, you can envision a world where every single classical computer would have a quantum computer coprocessor that would be able to offload some of those things that traditionally were really difficult to do for uh, a classical computer.
0: Very interesting. It was good to hear about some of the um, the benefits and then the risks of uh, quantum computing there too as well. So leading into the next question here, and it, it kind of relates to it, but it's not the risk of quantum, but it's the risk associated with adoption and, and what kind of issues organizations can have when reviewing and, and determining whether they want to apply or at least look at the, the future in their industry. Can, can, we'll start with you, Richard. Maybe you can allude to some of the high, uh, risks associated with organizations looking into this technology and then some risk mitigation strategies too.
2: Um, I mean, the risks are, uh, there are very, obviously various different risks. I think that, um, I think one of the risks that a lot of companies face is just um, trying to uh, demystify what they hear and try to identify what is real and what is, what is not real. Um, you know, what is, what is just simply hype and wishful thinking in the industry. And there's, some, there's still plenty of that, you know, in any new industry that's to be expected, I suppose. Um, so the, I mean, what we hear from customers all the time is you know, they just find it very, very difficult to plan they um they don't have in-house resources uh, that understand quantum computing i think raffle made a great point earlier when he said you know there's a very limited number of people around that understand how to program these systems This is not not an easy transition for a regular you know software engineer just to step into the world of, of programming quantum computers it's, it's a completely uh, different ball game and the tools for it frankly are still you know very mature uh, and, and emerging quite quickly so i think For a company to try to assess the current state of the industry, figure out what is real, uh, figure out the pace at which it's moving and try to identify which of the numerous problems they face today, you know, and and the many areas that they could choose to invest, how much money should they put into this topic, Um, you know, how many how many bodies should they recruit to try and create a center of excellence for quantum computing? Is this something they need? Should they need to worry about today, or is something they should worry about in five years' time? You know, or, or, or maybe not even for twenty years. So, I think that's the, that's the problem we hear mostly is they have very little reliable information, and they find it difficult to uh, to plan, to build business cases, to go justify. But- budgets to set objectives in, and they measure themselves against those objectives. So I think that's probably the biggest risk, you know, then, of course, you know, the risk of not doing anything lurks in the, in the corner of their mind, which is, gee, what if if I'm in material science or I'm in chemical engineering or I'm, I'm in, you know, I face the problem of, of portfolio optimization, and, you know, what on earth is going to happen if my competitors
1: figure this out first?
0: Very interesting. Rafael. do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with everything that Richard said. It's his last point that what happens if my competitors do this first, you know, definitely in the uh, financial space, I can pretty much guarantee you that the first successful application of a quantum computer to a fintech like problem will not be public, that nobody will hear about it just because, you know, traditionally organizations have wanted to leverage that competitive advantage. For, for as long as possible. And, and to me, this isn't only a risk for a specific uh, competitive organization, but it's actually a pretty substantial risk for um, the market as a whole. You know, th- this has the potential to really destabilize uh, the way that our markets function, uh, much more so than any you know, thing that kind of came before it in terms of whether it was AI and ML or even I- algorithmic trading uh, there's a really big opportunity for disruption. And, and as a result, there's a kind of a onus of both internally within organizations to understand, you know, how do they manage the things that they would traditionally maybe call model risk with AI to, uh, the models or the algorithms that they're putting out in quantum. And that's a very big ask because now you don't only need the expertise in terms of the developers to build these models but now you need some oversight or governance function as well that has uh, the capacity to understand quantum computing. Uh, but, but even more so, there's kind of a, a need for regulators to quickly come up to speed on uh, what, what is quantum and what impacts can it actually have in the market in order to um, safeguard and, and not have like a, you know an opposite reaction once this technology lands. One of my big fears is that uh, when the first applications that are really able to beat classical systems do come out, uh, there'll be a backlash, and these things will get regulated. So innovation will, you know, come to a crawl. Um, so my, my big push here, my big ask, is for, for especially the regulators, both internal within organizations as well as, you know, the large governmental ones, uh, really start coming up to speed on what quantum technology can and can't do. No, I think that's,
2: that's an interesting point, Raphael. you made you know I think that we're in we're in sort of a utopian
1: era right
2: now. you know nobody's really fighting for market share at this stage the 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 community itself is very open. Um, if anybody finds it's essentially anything that's interesting from an application perspective, you know generally speaking, people are willing to talk about it. It's a lot of public papers being published, you know uh, even even corporate entities that generally are pretty tight lipped about how. They go about um, building their applications and where they focus their business. You know, even they're talking about how they envisage the use of quantum computers and seem quite willing to talk about some of the early experiments that they're doing. So, right now, we're definitely in the mode of you know of a rising tide floating everybody's boat. Um, but as as Raphael points out, as soon as somebody Actually solves a problem for the very first time that, that nobody else can solve because everybody else has got a classical computer, you know, or doesn't know how to program a quantum one. You know, everything could go quiet really quickly because people realise they have a, a, a potentially, a, you know, a, a, a life-changing moment for a corporation in terms of di- disrupting an industry. So suddenly things could go real quiet and everybody could clam up and everybody tries to figure out how they could could quickly. And, you know, and ultimately exploit this technology. So I mean, at that moment, there will be a world shortage of resources to program these systems. And there will probably be a, a, you know, a, a, a real deficit in terms of how regulators understand the technology and really have come to grips with it you know, in the same way that you know, perhaps we faced you know, 10, 15 years ago with the internet and, the, and even perhaps with the arrival of, of, uh, of online payments.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good point too. And Rafael, I wanted to follow up on what you were saying too as well. So as far as um, regulators and, and being aware of the technology, what can regulators do in these cases and, and how can they stay on the pulse?
1: Yeah, so you know, I think the the best thing that they could do right now is start building the expertise in-house, which is maybe difficult to do with you know limited budgets and capacity. Uh, but one thing we've been seeing from, from a few regulators around the world is actually reaching out to partner organizations like AWS and, and Xanadu in order to work on understanding what are the, uh, the truths around the industry right now. How far out are we from these devices? What, what can realistically be done with them and start uh, developing some internal use cases. know we've seen a lot of sandbox like environments created especially for by fintech regulators to promote um innovation and also learn by doing and it'd be really great to see these same type of approaches uh dedicated and focused on on quantum applications um and and it's hard because quantum always seems to be uh, a decade out Uh, but i think we're finally at the time when for the first time ever we've seen some uh, real clear pathways to how to build these systems where before there was a lot of science problems now it's just you know uh far fewer science problems and mostly engineering to to be done um so i think it's the right time to for regulators to get involved in in this ecosystem
0: great yeah it sounds like um organizations whether it be Regulators or, or providers or, or customers of the technology is, is learning about it, ensuring they have the right resources available to understand it and, and to be able to uh, really absorb what's out there and be prepared for the future of quantum. Well, great. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks Richard and Raphael for your insights today. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation on quantum computing and and how this technology is really moving from um, uh, theory in some ways to application. So I'd like to say thank you everyone for listening today and joining us for another interesting podcast uh, put on by the Canadian RegTech Association. If you do like our show... Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our upcoming episodes where we will be discussing emerging reg tech solutions and current trends in the industry. So Richard and Raphael, thanks again for joining us.
2: You're most welcome. It's a pleasure.